Monty Scott is a brilliant stand-up comedian from Scarborough, Ontario. His 2019 comedy album, The Abyss Stares Back, was nominated for a Juno Award. And while it didn't win Comedy Album of the Year, it still represents a real victory. Scott recorded it in part as a response to a near-death experience. We talk in this conversation about bouncing back, about the lives and livelihoods of comedians in Canada. We speak to the politics of comedy today and try to imagine ways of thinking about comedy as an art. There are practical reasons for trying to figure out ways of defining comedy in these terms. As I discussed in my article for The Breach, getting comedy recognized this way in Canada would open up funding opportunities for a creative community that was hit very hard by the temporary and permanent closure of many venues during the pandemic. But it's also a theoretical question. There are entrenched assumptions about what art is and what it should do. Changing the definition is slow, difficult work. And yet, Scott suggests there's a path to getting comedy gradually recognized as a legitimate art. He emphasizes, first of all, that it's already an obviously relevant art form. It's a live conversation. It's popular. People need it. He says it may even be foundational to our existence. Nonetheless, getting comedy recognized as an art is still a major objective of the Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, the organization for which Monty currently acts as president. A shift is already happening on the provincial level, he says, but it remains a struggle. His gut tells him that the most important thing here is to listen to the people, to take them seriously and trust that the work comedians can accomplish when they move out of a purely individualistic space and into solidarity with one another can actually achieve something transformative. Another area where he says we gain a lot of clarity from listening to the people is on the question of shifting levels of tolerance and the politics of comedy. While he admits that his own comedy is in many ways grounded in being truly silly, he gets that there's a changing political climate around comedy. Still valuing the power of humor to go to uncomfortable places, while also understanding that there's a fine line between challenging norms and seeking shock for its own sake, is a tricky thing. But I appreciated his point that shock value has little real value and that there's an important contradiction between people casually laughing at stereotypes and getting offended by the willingness to explicitly identify racism. We talk a bit about what we might call the geography of comedy in Canada. Maybe unsurprisingly, he says that smaller towns have a real desire for you to speak to their specific context. But he also tells us that there's a weird discrepancy in places like Toronto between audiences that are genuinely uptight and ones that are pretty nihilistic, to use his term. I was struck by the fact that, in his experience, audiences in Alberta typically don't care much about social norms or the implicit rules that impact what counts as sensitive or appropriate discourse. In Alberta, he says you don't really need to filter what you say, and he seems, in fact, a little unnerved by that. Overall, though, he's learned that some of his initial anxieties about not being able to connect with people in a variety of different places in Canada with predominantly white audiences, given that he's a mixed race person from Scarborough, that you know these anxieties were a bit unfounded. That said, he also admits that in Canadian comedy, being a person of color means facing a real struggle to avoid being stereotyped. In the face of that push to simplify one's perspective and make one's comedy digestible and maybe even stereotypical, he points out that there's a real fusion in Canadian society 
and that we need a shift in perspective on immigration, inclusion, to radically embrace diversity. This also means taking seriously what sorts of racially stratified impacts the pandemic has had in Canada and really worldwide. This is bigger than comedy, but it also implicates humor in a number of different ways. The, the thing I wanted to ask you about first was just what sort of your almost philosophical or like political perspective is on comedy, if you have one. Uh, philosophically, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I've thought about it like, you know, philosophically like that. I, I think about um, in in the idea that it's irrelevant culturally and it's relevant, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I look at it more. It, it is, of course, relevant culturally, but um, I look at it like intrinsically human, like you cannot have a culture without without it. Mm -hmm. you can't have hum humanity without it. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's intrinsic to us no matter what. So, um, you know, obviously it's an art form that's, that's important because there's almost nothing, it's foundational to our existence, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I kind of look at it from that point of view and culturally it's, uh, obviously Canadian culture is, uh, we pride ourselves, or at least I think the country prides itself on producing comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it's important, you know, uh, Mike Myers, I think it was Mike Myers quote where he said that we, uh, we don't watch TV, we watch American TV. And, and that's one of the reasons we produced a lot of comedians is we have a somewhat, um, uh, arm's length view at even our own culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely, I, I agree with that point of view, but I, I, um, like like I say, I mean, sure, it's important to Canadian culture, but in truth, I, I'm sure every other country feels the same way to an extent, because um, mm -hmm. like really, it's 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 a a manifestation of humanity uh, uh, comedy. So yeah, uh, it's almost a drive, you know. I think that's true. Totally. I mean, there's just no doubt, and it's it's fundamental to our. Um, you know, our, our thinking process in that um, it's almost like the uh, the missing link to uh, moving us from animal to what we call human, you know, is um, it, it's the objectivity of humor, I think, that is like it's fundamental even in our, um, if you want to say we rising above the animals or rising to the top of the animal species, like from our, um, you know, the understanding that we exist and we are here um, is almost fundamental to humor. Yeah, I, I take that point. You know what I mean? Like just, I mean, just expression, artistic expression is such a, a kind of a tipping point in some ways in terms of like, yeah, like um, the evolution of self-awareness and all that stuff, being able to laugh at yourself, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and like, you, I think the, but the difference, I guess, is like, if you're a professional comedian, you start off kind of like a, maybe a little bit clumsy, a little bit crude, not having refined your craft. And then you ref you refine it, right? And you become, you know, uh, you obtain that level of like artistry where people begin to think, wow, this person is like almost a visionary, right? Like there are comedians who are looked at in that, in that way, who have produced comedy specials that are looked at almost like these events, right? When, when Eddie Murphy makes Delirious at age like 21 or whatever, it's seen as this like, you know, moving all of comedy forward in some ways, and then it becomes this touchstone for other comedians. I know you've mentioned yeah. Delirious and other, you know, conversations. Are there specific specials, maybe even 
like recent specials that stand out for you in that way of like kind of moving comedy forward? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, Delirious is uh, as a child, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, I, I'd say uh, Chris Rock's of, uh, I think it's a bigger and blacker mm-hmm. um, that, that that was huge. Special was huge. And um, for me, as kind of a young adult and thinking about doing comedy uh, personally, but I, I think uh, industry-wide, it was uh, it, w- it was that kind of thing. Um, then you have stuff like, like I think, the Chappelle show, even though, you know, not as... Maybe some of his specials, but I'd say just that show itself as a touchstone for, for comedy was, was, you know, it's not, not stand-up, but um, it was really crazy. Uh, many of the things Bill Burr has done in the last 10 years, I think uh, Bill Burr's uh, talent is you know, being able to channel his maniac into, uh, it, it's always a core truth. You know what I mean? Like these people are always, um, speaking so much truth, almost that society to an extent can barely handle it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I always feel that like way, almost yeah. all of those albums are on the touchstone of that. Like almost all these great albums are like, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing so much clarity to our, uh, to our reality um, that it's, it's, it's almost difficult to take. Chappelle is being, you know, he's still a rich comedian who's supported by Netflix, but there are many events that are being canceled as part of this, uh, backlash against his transphobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Burr has, as you say, he's alienated some, uh, audiences because of his like, um, politically incorrect, I guess would be the way to put it, uh, style. And I guess I want to ask you about like, the current moment for comedy in the era, I guess, of what's called, I think, too quickly and simplistically cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously it's different when CK is actually, you know, exposed for sexual misconduct and like other people are just saying things that offend. Um, but I at least am in the position of saying like, I'm done with Dave Chappelle for the most part. And I liked Chappelle's show, but Chappelle's The Closer special you know, for personal and political reasons for me was just like a line in the sand in some ways where, you know, his doubling down and Netflix doubling down is just like, not for me a place I can go to. Um, And that's just, I mean, you know, this is the, maybe the era of political division in some ways, but I guess I want to ask, like, do you feel like people are, audiences are more politically conscious or informed now? And that's what's part of like what's going on. And how does the level of political awareness that you sense in an audience shifts, shift the jokes that you feel you can do as a comedian? Well, I think uh, obviously people, I, I wouldn't say sensitivity, but there is a, there, there is a wider, obviously a wider range. And, and these are topics that were always kind of, um, well, as we've moved through the years, um, you get these topics um, as they come up. You know, at first it was, um, you know, just gay people, you know, just being a homosexual. And then, you know, uh, moving forward, it's, again, like levels of tolerance as as, as you move forward. Um, I think it's perfectly fine um, also that if you personally are like, well, you know what, I, I don't like what he was saying about this. It's, it's kind of a given, really. It's mm-hmm. not even so much cancel culture as it is... Um, I listen to some various people talk about. Uh, in this case, it was Black uh, Black Lives Matter that I really enjoyed what they were doing, but they kind of turned me off from their from their attitude with it because they they took a stance on it I didn't like. You know, as far as I, I thought negatively portraying it in a way I didn't 
believe in. So I just kind of right. a little bit walked away from it. I didn't say, hey, I hate this person. I'll never deal with them again. But I, I that attitude turned me off and I, I, I kind of stepped away. And I think that's going to obviously uh, perfectly fair to happen for you and Chappelle. Um, but I do think it's um, I, and I haven't heard uh, like exactly Ch- Chappelle's stances on these. So I am ignorant uh, in, in that manner because I've kind of heard people speak on both sides of it. But um, I, th- I think the idea that they're willing to take on these discussions and um, hopefully not in a frivolous way, you know, not just mm-hmm. for the clicks or how much for the clicks. I would imagine Dave Chappelle's not doing it for the for the clicks or the idea of some sort of relevancy. I feel like he wants to talk about it for a particular reason, you know? Well, uh, yeah. He I'd does hope. say, though. I mean, I think you're right. Like he, he does, for example, he's been people have pointed out that, you know, he's been really obviously like insightful on anti-black racism, for example. But mm-hmm. it's like he, he's limited in terms of understanding like gender politics and he doesn't want to learn is the problem, I think. And the one thing uh, he says sure. in, in the bird revelation, I think, is the, the special is that he he says mean things on purpose, but not because they're mean because they are funny, right? So it's like, there is a way in which I think he's a little bit leaning into the shock value of being kind of publicly cruel in a way, right? Like, at least shocking to some extent, you know, and that is a style of comedy. It's just when does sort of the culture shift and and our comedians open to shifting their comedy in response seems to be like one of the questions. And like, in Canada, that seems to be um, differently political. Like in, we're talking a lot when we talk about cancel culture, largely, I feel like we're talking about the U S because of the size of that market. But, you know, like you have this joke um, in uh, on your comedy album, the abyss stares back where you talk about, um, you know, your, your like background, your Guyanese and Scottish, and you joke about the audience needing to identify your racial background in order to like fully understand you um and you you do it in obviously a comedic style right like you're not trying to preach necessarily the idea is to frame it as a joke but it does feel like what you're partly trying to do is like give audiences the opportunity to think critically about race their own racism potentially right is that like a capacity that you think comedy has is to kind of like just sort of tease that out without being preachy basically well, I hope I, I I didn't think about it even as I was doing that joke, but I I do hope it it, it does that because that's how you know organically that's how I feel about it. I find it odd mm-hmm. that uh, you know um, having to know what somebody is as opposed to like you know I'm speaking English just the same as you mm-hmm. pretty clearly, um, but that is kind of more my thing. Like I say, I don't like the idea of doing comedy for for. Um, shock value and like you say um, saying things that are border borderline or completely um, uh, mean in order to get a laugh I'm, I'm not on board for like that style really at all um, mm-hmm. but I I do think when I quibble with the say the culture in general when you talk about cancel I don't like the idea that people are scared and unwilling to uh, uh, approach thoughts and mm-hmm. I hopefully, because that's sometimes comics will get into trouble where they're only um, exploring a thought as to what is this and how how does this fit in and what is it, right? That's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a hot button topic and, and people are unable to kind of see past the, the hot button and explore the actual thought as to 
what it is. And and for that, I have a lot of time for, and I think comedy has, um, sh- should have a really big place for it because a lot of times thinking about these things are uncomfortable. And, um, you know, the only way to take down that kind of medicine is with some sweetness of the, of the humor. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, and, and I think traditionally that's comedy has done that a lot and, and, and made that happen a lot, but, um, but it is a fine line. It's a fine line between being, just kind of, you know, a little kind of shock value style and mean. And mm-hmm. um, even though this is an uncomfortable thought, this, there, there may be a lot of truth in it. And they, those two get mixed up a lot. And it, it's frustrating. Um, like I've, I've noticed personally, um, sometimes you do a joke, essentially critique, critiquing racism, you know, in some mm-hmm. manner or another. And people will get angry um, because... It, it really it's a critique of racism but they take it as racism because they looking at it at face value and then at the same time they'll laugh at a joke that is completely stereotype driven which is just completely racism right. and and they're totally cool with that you'll never have a complaint do, walking into that but walking into something where it you might be saying something that's quasi racism in a facetious way to to highlight racism mm-hmm. and people will take that as racism. Uh, and and so basically they do the reverse all the time. And it seems like a big part of it is like, who is speaking? I mean, the, it's, it comes down to like, you know, I know Carol Zoccoli, you've, you've done um, uh, Sandra's podcast and, and spoken with her. Oh yeah. She's from Brazil and talks about how like Canadian audiences, um, there's like a kind of liberal sentimentality or something that makes it hard to go to a place of laughing with her about, things like poverty and things like, you know, structural racism, uh, because it's seen as, as, as you say, like a hot button topic or just off limits. Janelle Niles, I talked to her as well. And she, she talks about like the struggle in Ottawa of like trying to warm up audiences that she says sort of feels like they've taken a module on what that day on why the things she's saying aren't funny, you know? Um, so it it has everything to do with, it, it sounds like what you're saying, like who is speaking and who gets to kind of play with these stereotypes and who doesn't. And I guess like, I want to ask you about different contexts in Canada. I know you just performed um, at various places on the East coast where I'm located and you know, like what your, I guess, you know, what your experience here was, how it compares to Ontario, other Canadian cities, like which tend to be more progressive or inclusive audiences, which tend to be audiences that are a little bit more, like open to being challenged and which ones are kind of more conservative when it comes to the kind of geography of comedy in Canada? Well, first of all, love, love the East coast. Great time. And I, I've always had a great time there and I've always found the audiences to be now, now what, uh, I'll put a bit of a caveat on this is like a lot of times in my opinion, at least a lot of times my comedy is really just truly silly and mm-hmm. it, it may involve other aspects of obviously uh, our society and life, but it, um, one of the kind of things that smooths me over a lot is is the utter, I think, silliness of it. So there, it's always kind of grounded in that. So it's not. I'm not rarely right. am I doing something that's so kind of hard hitting to a, an exact point. I have more nuance nuance points, I guess, around jokes. You know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it's like self effacing. Yeah, obviously, self effacing is always say, you can badmouth yourself as much as you want, but um, <laughs> but a, a lot of times it's kind of like. Um, you know, I, I used to do a political joke about Stephen Harper where I'm saying, like, my biggest beef with him is that his lips are the same color as his face. <laughs> and, and then, you know, that usually get a big laugh because there's some core of truth in that. But that, that, it tends to be, it's a, 
it's a uh, if that's your political commentary, you shouldn't get in a hell of a lot of trouble mm-hmm. politically. Um, sure, but but I I do find uh, like say for the East Coast, I found them pretty comparable. I've always found them pretty comparable to um, Ontario. You know, like mm-hmm. like I think for any kind of um, I'd say this is true for just about everywhere in smaller centers, particularly the. Um, like small towns anyway, uh, they, they like you to talk about them. There's a certain, there's a big portion sure. that they like you to talk about them in some manner or another. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I pro- actually probably literally everywhere, but, but, um, it particularly comes out in, in smaller towns, but, um, and I'd say that countrywide and probably worldwide. Right. But, sure, um, yeah, yeah. from e- each to like, uh, I'd say there's a certain amount of like, they're just pretty easy going. I found in the East coast, I found for the shows, they were even, I did a few shows that were kind of oriented towards um, safe space style, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't uh, rarely would I find very, that very um, constricting anyway, but um, I, I found the audiences to be just kind of open-minded and cool. And, and really, I didn't find them uh, from the point of view, like, overly fixated on say um my my looks or my race or whatever uh you know there's kind of like all right you know like say toronto is pretty toronto can get a little bit uptight uh from um political correctness point of view occasionally Mm -hmm. i'm in various spots say downtown and whatnot but mostly toronto's pretty nihilistic and they don't really care and um Mm -hmm. i found out west um alberta really just doesn't care um um, bordering sometimes on they don't care <laughs> enough, you know what I mean? Be like sometimes, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you do a joke, you're like, I don't know if they'll take this racially, and then sometimes you're like, well, I mean, they seem a little too happy. Yeah, so, what did I just open up there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like they seem to dig that too much, but mostly, but they're pretty just like say whatever you want if it's funny. They don't have a lot of filter on on what's making them laugh. They don't have a lot of like, uh, um, like should I be laughing? Mm-hmm. And Toronto mostly doesn't either, but like I say, some spots downtown. I didn't think the East Coast did at all, at all really, um, that, that I could tell. And um, uh, Vancouver and like uh, BC, uh, I, f- I found them to be a little more like that, but I only had a uh, um, relatively minimal experience out there. I've only been out there for, for like three weeks kind of combined where um, it's not even fair to me to speak of them as a, you know, because mostly, I'd say mostly audiences are audiences like all the way across. Uh, I found when I was touring, I was like, oh, I don't know, how am I going to get across to, you know, people in northern Alberta or something? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a mixed kid from Scarborough. How could I, how could I, they like what I like or laugh at what I think? And, and uh, I found that there's no need for any separation. Right. And they, I mean, like part of it is that they want to hear your story. Like they want you to tell your story to give your own kind of perspective. I have some, you know, some questions about like the pressure, I guess, in some ways of doing that, especially in this contemporary like gig economy where part of what we're commodifying is our own like persona, right? It has to be like this coherent, cohesive thing and sort of polished in some ways, you know, like people just have to get it. Um, And like whether that's, that's difficult at all. But I guess I wanted to jump off uh, something you said there about, you know, the, the, the degree to which your, your very like identity in some ways, like pre you know, precedes you or like conditions the audience in certain ways, depending on the place. Like, 
you know, you now are the the, the president of CASC, the Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, and it mm-hmm. does have like these specific objectives. Obviously, one of the big objectives is what you call the cycle of advancement, you know, ensuring the production, promotion, distribution of, you know, Canadian comedy. Uh, but the other one uh, is to promote a harassment-free environment, uh, to promote like racial, social, economic, physical, mental, and gender justice and equality. And like, it is the case that is, as a lot of people have pointed out, that there is now a greater like uh, hunger market, whatever you want to say, for like a diverse cross-section of different sort of stories, performers. There seems to be basically since 2020 and the uprising of, of you know, uh, Black Lives, um, a greater sense of like, how there's inherent value in some ways in having, um, you know, more diverse perspectives at the table. How, to what extent is that second objective now you, with you stepping in as president, like part of the mission of CASC, like, is you know, doing justice basically to the diversity of your membership? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned. Um, I don't know that it, it changes much from, say, Sandra being president to me, because I think we're Mm-hmm. Uh, very much of like minds with it, but it, it, for me personally, it, it's 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 a real personal issue to me because uh, I honestly find I found uh, okay I found in in the comedy industry at least this is my take on it is that if you're ethnic and for any anyone who hasn't seen me I just look kind of uh, more or less uh, um, Hispanic I suppose you could say. It really irked me the idea that um, I'm a Canadian. My mom is from Guyana, but I, I never identify myself as Guyanese because I'm not. I've only mm-hmm. been to Guyana once. My dad is from uh, Brockville, but uh, he, he he's Scottish, like we're the Scott clan, you know, but um, he's never been to Scotland. So, you know, how Scottish am I and how Guyanese? I, at least I have a Guyanese family around me. I, I'm really just a person who knows Guyanese people. And right. So, so the idea that I would come in and talk a, a, a whole bunch about my skin color to me is, is uh, insulting to an extent. Because I'm like, mm. why? I always took it as like the feeling in the industry was, um, well, wh- this guy's going to come in here and tell jokes about his socks. We could get a white guy to talk about socks. Mm. Why would, what the hell's the point of having somebody who looks like uh, uh, an immigrant come in here and not talk about his ethnicity? So... Uh, my one of my biggest things is like until we recognize that I am um, what Toronto is to a large extent and what our country is, I we, I'm a microcosm of uh, immigration and the integration of immigration into our country, and until we realize that we're not like a bunch of different ethnic people walking around, we're all you know we're we're becoming more and more mixed and and becoming more fusion all the time, and at some point we have to recognize this is uh, Canadian. Mm-hmm. My experience is is not abnormal. It is Canadian, you know. Being being like a, a person uh, mixed between a number of different cultures, it, it it shouldn't be like I have to talk about what uh, curried haggis. Like what? <laughs> why? <laughs> and and, yeah. and it's it, it's insult. It's wrong. And it's 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 not facing the reality of what we are. You know. And so and, and I think is I think it would be greatly beneficial for our entire. In a com- comedy industry to recognize like this is what Canada is you know mm-hmm. sure you, you could be a, a, a white guy from anywhere and and be like visually what you'd p- picture a Canadian but 
but your experience, but anyone's experience is going to be, you know, um, mixed in with mine, knowing a bunch of people that are uh, ethnic in various different ways that are Canadians that are here, that are not only here, but I mean, um, I, I always talk about like being an immigrant. I'm, I'm born in North York. I am not an immigrant. Um, mm -hmm. But you feel that way because my mom is, you know, and so sometimes my uh, my girlfriend will be like, uh, I'll, uh, I'll say I'm an immigrant. She'll say I'm not. And but then if somebody called me an immigrant, I'd be like, excuse me, I'm born here. You know, so it's like <laughs> I'm pissed no matter where you think I am uh, from, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but but it's this kind of dichotomy that I, I think it, it's way more inherent in, in all of our um, all through our society and from everybody's point of view, you know. And uh, uh, it's like I say, it's it's personal for me, but I think it's important for Cask, and it's it's important for our industry to to recognize what we are as a country, not what we were in 1955. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, and I like this kind of comparison that you that I'm hearing you kind of draw between sort of like a superficial and kind of tokenistic attitude toward difference basically like people of color that says like your experience is like sort of valuable in some ways to the white mainstream like it's always kind of answerable to that um because you know it's it's different and so we can sell it or whatever versus a more like serious interest in what cask is about which is like trying to level the playing field in some ways because like it is the case that the coronavirus pandemic not only you know hit uh you know, the arts community and, and performers particularly hard, but of course, like it really, it tore through communities of color in a, a disproportionately, you know, destructive way. And so like, it'd be different if like that interest in diversity was that deep of like, well, we need a serious transformation in this country, which is a white supremacist country um, in a lot of ways still. And so I like, I think like the, the saying you're pissed no matter what is, is interesting because it's like anger is appropriate. Um, I know, you know, you were quoted in this Toronto.com article as saying that, like, there's going to be a decent proportion of really good artists that will lose due to COVID, which will be a shame. And I have to think that, you know, it won't be just all artists, that there will be some that maybe can weather the storm and come back. Um, and I guess, you know, like you're all you also say in that article that this needs to represent a big impetus for change. Um, you know, I get, this is a way for me to kind of get, get you to maybe talk about hopefully your, your, the reasons why you stepped in as president of CASC. I know it's not like, it's not a, like a paid position necessarily. So in some ways you're doing it because you care. So, you know, what, what brought you to it and what do you, what do you hope to do with the, the responsibilities that it comes with? Well, I guess I'll start by, um, talking like what you're saying, like kind of tokenism and whatnot. It, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. First of all, uh, COVID obviously hit artists terribly because uh, particularly performing artists because, because you're can't perform. Um, yeah. but beyond that, like, uh, how it's hit poor and ethnic, um, communities harder. Uh, and, and the idea that's like, um, it, it's great to say, Oh yeah, we care, but it would be nice to help, you know, sure. put the impetus yeah. on helping and not having those situations happen as opposed to, or, um, mitigating the problems of those situations rather than, um, you know, some sort of token words or what, you know, um, the important thing to remember is actually helping, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, as, as far as far as uh, uh, Cass goes, um, the reason um, I was 
very much on board when when Sandra put it together and we all started it. Um, but I mean, Sandra was the, the impetus of everything for it to start. Um, but I was on board because it, I, I knew it was important. Comedians are naturally disenfranchised. So they're easy to either exploit or, if not exploit, take advantage of them in some manner or another because they're alone, always on an island, and they're always used to that mm-hmm. scenario. So I thought it's really important to um, very much, in this case, oddly, it's ironic, but give voice to the voiceless, mm-hmm. um, considering we all have microphones and talk garbage all day long. Um, <laughs> somehow we're voiceless but we're voiceless because we're always been you know kind of pit against each other and um and and i I don't mean i don't mean this as to only point fingers at other people the way um the nature of comedians and whatnot Mm. um they tend to be lone and they, they go about this kind of solo type career and um it, it, it you create a situation where you can't even talk to a collective of them so how how would anyone even ever try even yeah. if somebody was like hey we're gonna cut like some sort of break for comedians who would you talk to and so you know as if anyone's ever gonna really try that but you know say they were uh, what would be the best thing for us to give you guys uh, up until cask you wouldn't have even had anyone to talk to mm-hmm. to say to, yeah. to, to give you an answer you know so so that um that alone it is uh just kind of proves the importance of it from the because again it's a kind of lone group of disparate people going in different directions so it it's it's hugely important to first of all be there just to be uh, a voice for the comedians uh first and foremost and then you know moving forward as as you go you're you, you continue to push the um you know the agenda of 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 better working conditions for us across the board um, in, in every manner, you know, fair, fair pay. And, and, you know, um, as many people probably listening know in this world, a lot of times, if you're not asking for something, you're not getting it. And so, um, somebody there to say, Hey, what about us in some manner or another? It could be, you know, any, anywhere along the topic of our, of our entire industry is like, what about us? And uh, it would be nice for us to be thought of. And unless there's a voice for that, um, they're the easiest people to forget. Mm-hmm. Even though they're the product. Exactly. Yeah, they're on the stage. Like they're, yeah, as you say, the voice. Um, but then there's this displacement effect because of the structure. And I like that you point out, it's not about, um, it's maybe partly the fact that, you know, the comedian, the vision of the comedian is like this lone wolf, as you say, like the ind- individual voice, the singular hot take, all that stuff. But it's not a product of that. It's a it's a product of the structure, the environment, uh, this competitive circuit um, that kind of makes you exploitable in some ways. Like and what I'm hearing you say again is that, you know, you need to ask to get things, but also you need to connect with others to create any sort of collective vision. And I think like that is so much of like how cask is kind of like instructing comics is to say like, um, this is what you've been sold this idea and ideal of what a comedian is, but what would it mean? Like, what could we kind of envision if we, you know, thought of ourselves as part of a collective, like that is, is amazing to me. Like that idea of just solidarity. Right. Oh, very much like work in a collective of people, um, even though, I mean, essentially we, we are um, by nature individualists. But 
um, mm-hmm. to, together. We need to work together in, in the manner of just at least us, you know, doing our work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like uh, this is something that I know Sandra has, has said is that, you know, after the pandemic, there's no real going back to the way things were because that status quo was broken. You know, she says like the style that we were operating in just it didn't work. And so, you know, going back to normal, which has been, you know, the kind of like it's been the the marching, the like the anthem of this kind of return to normal in, in this country and elsewhere. It, it, it really doesn't work, especially when you're talking about this specific sector of the creative economy in Canada that is still struggling for like legitimacy. Right. Um, so you're like picking up that baton of trying to like, for example, um, petition governments for greater labor mo- mobility. This is one of the objectives of CASC. And I guess I wanted to ask you about that in relationship to, you know, the the flow of creative talent uh, uh, to and from the U.S. You know, like why is it difficult for Canadian comedians to crack the U.S. market? Um, you know, and 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 you know, given how difficult it clearly is to crack that market, some do it, of course. But it, it's there's there's challenges, and I wonder if you could speak to those challenges. You know, it it's clearly the case that given how difficult it is to crack, there needs to be more public funding here in Canada. Why don't we also have that for Canadian comedians? You know, really glad you asked that. From first of all, um, Americans to perform here, they you know it's, it's a minimal cost to come here for a relatively short period of time. Say you wanted to come for a tour. You can tour all of Canada for like two months and Americans have to pay like a hundred dollars to come here. You can't mm-hmm. step foot in the United States as a Canadian to earn a single cent um, under, you know, basically you've got to file some sort of immig- immig- immigration claim. Either either you need to get like a, a like a temporary uh, visa, working visa there. And this costs thousands and thousands of dollars. So. For whatever reason, the Canadian government said, hey, sure, um, you can come here for like the cost of, uh, you know, basically a parking permit or something for one mm-hmm. month. Uh, I mean, a parking permit for one month. Here, give us a hundred bucks. You can come here for like two months, three months, whatever. Make as much money of our money as you want. Displace our comedians and, um, you know, in that you're taking their place and um, go home. We go over the United States. They're like, what are you, crazy? You're going to take one of our citizens' jobs? And um, basically, that's the situation you're working in. I, I don't know why it was started like that. Maybe there wasn't as many performers here, and we were just happy to have them come here. Or maybe we were bullied as as often as the case by the United States in some manner or another. It's hard to get the Canadian government to, to address these things because they're always concerned about so many different immigration things. They're like, well, if we get them to do this, they're going to make they're going to want this. I don't know what the deal is exactly, but those type of things um, are, are, you know, are huge for us. The idea, if we could go to the United States for a month and for the, in the same, just a reciprocal agreement between our countries, that would be fantastic. So we're, we're getting, um, we're getting treated vastly different. We're, uh, for some reason, Canada is treating Americans vastly different than Americans are treating Canadians when it comes to performing a live performances. And that's, that's just the way it is. So um, that being said, uh, when it comes to the allocation of our own country's funds for um, comedians, we are still working. And, and our main goal to this day 
is working at having art designated, uh, comedy designated art in our country. For mm -hmm. some reason, I think one of the reasons is that it's been um, self-sufficient to the point that you can, people like comedy, so they go to right. it. There's, there's a market for it. Yeah, there's a market for it. There's many other arts that there aren't a, a market for. So they, they're essentially completely propped up by the Canadian government. And mm -hmm. we've been left on the outside of that discussion and they don't want to let us in. The mm -hmm. the uh, the uh, the other um, arts don't want to let us in because they don't want to. I don't think they want to let us have a piece of the buy because they know that that it, it's a relevant concern to average citizens in our country. They'd be like they would want Canadians, comedians funded um, at least to the same extent as the rest of the arts. But it's only up until now that they're starting to allow some degree of grants for comedians, but they still have not designated us an art. And when you go to get a grant or something, it, you can't just walk in and say, it's for a comedy tour or something like that. You're always trying to squeeze in to um, something that's designed for something else. Like you're talking about something that's essentially designed for um, like a, either a play or um, uh, dance or something like that. You're, you're trying to squeeze into something, some sort of theater production and, and, and say, well, let comedy in like that, rather than saying comedy is as relevant as theater uh, um, as an art and let the person be judged on what they're proposing as comedy. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're fighting for very much. Now, like I say, I don't know why we're on. The, one of the reasons we're on the outside of that is that uh, th these other arts have associations. We never did. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe it was because people could make a little bit of money doing comedy. So it, it w wasn't as relevant. I don't know. But um, that's the system you're trying to get in. So when, a lot of times when when I was early in comedy, um, people were saying, oh, some government's going to cut art funding. And I was like, somebody asked me about it. And I was like, I mean, as a comedian, I'm like, I don't care at all. I care the same as, um, you know, an insurance broker does. Because I'm not getting any of that money anyway. Hmm. You know, I would only care philosophically for the arts, arts, you know? Right. But um, the personal and, stake wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. No personal stake for me, even, you know, being a comedian. So that is something that's probably our number one agenda uh, is uh, from the time we started CASC was to um, have comedy designated as art. And it's moved a little bit down the line and, uh, and the, uh, the province of Quebec ha has done it. And uh, um, BC is in the process of at least, but that's provincially and uh, um, federally, a lot, of the money, a lot of the money comes federally. So at some point we need the, f the federal system to be changed so that we're designated as an art. So, yeah, it's really it's really interesting, like to think about just that dynamic between the economy, just letting it rip and saying like the free market will decide and, and the assumption that comedy is self-sustaining, actually producing conditions where there is no support. And now, like at, a, at, at this point now where you're you're you have a collective voice and you're able to, um, you know, say like this is this is our this is our sense of like who we are as a culture and the place of comedy in it. I think that that could be um, obviously like the hope is that that could be really transformative, but I guess like the, the problem is that you're not just up against the assumption that comedy is self-sustaining, that there's a market for it, but also I think this assumption that comedy is a vulgar art 
that it's not like the ennobling arts, ballet, drama, or whatever. Um, can't I know that you know? Uh, scanning the cask Instagram, there's this post where you talk about how the uh, Canada Council for the Arts representative said, basically, where do we draw the line? If we're qualifying comedy as an art, you know, it's like everything becomes art, you know, Um, which is so weird to me. It feels to me like part of the goal is to like part of the goal has to be actually like coming up with like a, a, a set of terms, a discourse for like saying the vulgar, the vernacular is itself legitimate that like allowing people space to work through, as you were saying earlier, maybe some of the more challenging stuff that is part of being in a society, like some of the more kind of underground subcultural stuff um, that we need to be less afraid of that. You know, Sandra was talking about Shakespeare, for example, as something that is like somehow just spontaneously going to like enlighten people. But it's like Shakespeare was the vulgar art of his day, right? Like, how do we come up with a different set of terms for like, saying, you know, comedy may be vulgar, but vulgar isn't necessarily bad. Well, look at how much politeness hides uh, vulgarity in brutality, you know? Uh, Well put, yeah, for sure. Like, as as you mentioned Shakespeare, I mean, yeah, like you say, the original original vulgarity, you know, um, uh, vulgar art, right? Um, I, I, I don't even know, like, where where the like line is for that. I, I feel like that's just some sort of um, um, somebody's own personal judgment that they don't like it. And I think you're, you're probably, we're probably finding that a lot um, through, through the other arts. And again, I think honestly um, the other arts are somewhat, some other arts are some resentful of the popularity of comedy. Right. Um, it's just naturally brings out, like you want to point at something about comedy and say, Oh, uh, that's why it, it's, it, that's not art, you know, just cause you, just cause you don't like the idea that people like it. You know, I think there's something to that, but I, uh, at some point you have to recognize that, um, people that are discussing some of the most important topics it, it, and the bringing that into the field of, uh, uh, spoken word art, hmm. um, that's important. I mean, the harp is an important but the harp, you know, isn't um, isn't as relevant to our society as discussing in, in a comedic spoken word form the most important things that are happening to our society right now, particularly now. You know, we're in, obviously we're in a uh, tumultuous time, and we'll probably remain so for who knows how long. Uh, our society and talking about things that that matter, and admittedly, comedy doesn't always talk about things that matter, but um. You know, it's like music, uh, like the worst pop song is not indicative of everything that music is. Mm-hmm. And you could say the same for comedy. The The better part of what comedy is, is as relevant as any other piece of art that we have right now. So I, um, uh, getting that across, across the, I, I don't know how, how much of a discussion we need to have with the arts community or whatever, but at some point, there has to be an impetus to say, this is what it is. And the rest, the thing is, the rest will take care of itself because of the popularity of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, people know it's relevant and people are are compelled to listen to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it has a long tradition. I mean, it's like uh, Cliff Nesteroff has a couple of books on this, you know, this Canadian academic. 
Um, you know, this his newest book, uh, We Had a Little Real Estate Problem, is about indigenous comedy in Canada. And yeah, like there's there's a way in which now, you know, that's that's an issue that is um, suddenly, you know, finally at the foreground of Canadian politics is, you know, the question of reconciliation, reparations, you know, uh, being in good relation with indigenous nations. It's like, you know, if you want to actually um, have some kind of, you know, broad conversation, it can't necessarily always happen within academic and political circles. It should also be happening in like these more like vernacular everyday, like vulgar spaces. Right. Um, the question of the line and, and to what extent people are like offended, that also has to be part of the conversation, people's sensitivity and all that stuff. But, um, I mean, even online, like the toxicity of online discourse isn't necessarily conducive to like progressive politics, right? This is this is part of the thing that like the alt-right, for example, has really in some ways contaminated satire, irony, and so on with like real racism, like virulent racism. And so like having these venues supported with funding, these venues that have disappeared in the context of the pandemic resuscitate in some ways like a public sphere where we don't really have a public sphere anymore. hundred percent. There is kind of a conversation happening like in these spaces. It's, it's lively. It's alive, you know? Yeah. It's a live conversation, which yeah, um, as much as the internet, you know, part of the problem of the internet is, is often not a live conversation, you know, or yeah. it's, it's, it's not a face to face, which has brought out so much of this, uh, um, you know, ridiculous kind of talk, really. But but at the same time, as as toxic and detrimental as um, um, what a lot of, a lot of things that have happened on the internet, we don't endeavor to say the internet is useless or toxic True. entirely to us, right? So, I mean, God knows, comedy hasn't done anything as bad as uh, the alt right has on the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So surely you, you can't throw out the little bit of uh, upfront crass or maybe vapid comedy and throw that out with uh, the rest of the comedy out with a bath of water. We, we didn't do it with the Internet. We're still on the Internet and we want to be on the Internet. And uh, look at all the damage it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I guess like, you know, the last question I'll ask is about, you know, just who gets to make these sorts of determinations in a way like we like to say it's the public social media. We like to imagine social media as this like meritocracy, but there are like in some ways invisible forces of legitimation, delegitimation in the case of the internet, you know, like Elon Musk tries to buy Twitter and there's this like backlash that says, well, we don't want necessarily um, a completely wide open like frontier for hate speech and so on. And that's what he's going to produce. You know, there are, even though we imagine social media as this sort of like unregulated space, there are large companies that curate it. And, you know, you drew, you drew the analogy to music. I think like that's a useful one when it comes to comedy. And I know, you know, Sandra talks about how music has been a big ally in some ways for comedians like organizing, Yeah, you know, you know, music, it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly, you know, valid e- economically, but it also has this like uh, cultural capital attached to it as well. So I think like cracking that code, figuring out how legitimation, delegitimation happens will be sort of like hopefully a little bit of a, like a ticket for comedy to, be, to, to achieve that like status of being not just uh, enjoyed and, and celebrated in certain ways, but like Canadian comedy specifically, comedi- comedians producing humor in Canada, receiving the support. Like it's going to 
in some ways, I think, happen by deciphering the means through which art is either legitimated or delegitimated, even though, as you say, like your comedy is silly, you're like you're trying to work through now in your role as president of cast, like how that process of legitimation and delegitimation happens. Um, and, you yeah. know, I, I, any thoughts on that? Well, I guess I'll start off by saying it's like I, I used to fully believe in free speech from the idea that I thought things like hate speech and stuff. Um, it, it's like if, you know, when you pull something into the sunlight, you, you it, it's a disinfectant. So I always thought the idea of people hiding in shadows talking, you know, to me, it's essentially garbage. Um, bring them to the sunlight and people will see how bad this is, you know, see, mm. see how wrongheaded it is. And, um, you know, as it turns out, like just the way, the way it worked out, uh, uh with the internet, um, it, it, it festered more and it's now, uh, mm-hmm. it's not exactly brought out to the, to the light, but it's like it, everything's in the corners, little corners here, little corners there. So, um, yeah, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer as far as, you know, speech. I, I wonder what the right answer is for that, but yeah, as, you're right. As far as legitimacy goes and like, who's, who's who's um, making these decisions and such. I mean, um, I think to an extent of it, the way I look at it is, is uh, with comedy particularly, the people are always making the decision. It's a, it, it's a matter of finding out who, or, you know, the people have spoken always on comedy. They've spoken for mm-hmm. a long time on how relevant they think it is. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to certain decision makers in various parts of our government and I guess, you know, as it goes around the world and whatnot, um, you know, hopefully uh, we're going to get to a point where we'll get more people listening to what uh, the powers that be listening to what it is that the people find important. And, For sure. And at some point they have to recognize that what the people find important, maybe the people aren't completely wrong, you know, maybe we mm-hmm. should listen to the people on this every once in a while. And so when something is popular and relevant like that, uh you know, um, it should be it should be taken seriously. You know, um, to say the least, as seriously as everything else. You know, artistically. So, uh, y- you know, getting get, traversing that and getting through is is definitely um, our biggest challenge. So, yeah. uh, part of it is, uh, I, I always kind of take solace in the fact that like part of it is us being here. Us never being here. I mean, we, we're here as comedians, but uh, in, until you're you're here with a, an association to say, "Hey, this this we should have a part of this pie, and we should be fostering this." That's a uh, uh, music industry is very aspirational that way because they did a great job of that all the way through Canadian music industry, particularly, and um, that's how we were able to produce a uh, you know so many um, so many great artists. Yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, you're kind of adopting that model, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but then trying to kind of tailor it to what comedy is and does and and what it can, you know, the kinds of spaces that it creates and the, the sorts of thinking that it potentiates. Like, I think that's the thing I, I, I find so exciting about comedy is um, it is a unique art form. And yet one that is like you can see it evolving in real time. Right. People that kind of break the form um people that play with the forum i love all of that so much so yeah um, it's, it's 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 great it's it's um those differences between like say 
you know, uh, comedy and music, uh, as much as the similarities, you're always going to have those differences where, you know, uh, one that always stands out to me is that, you know, people uh, will play a song forever and bands will come in and people are angry that they're not playing all their old shit. And right. uh, comedy is the exact opposite. Try to come with the same, you know, um, have uh, Bill Burr come back with the same set five different times and see how it goes, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and then, I mean, I know there are certain comedians that like Seinfeld, for example, like he would do the same jokes for a, a long time. And like, they'll talk about how they w sometimes want comedians to like do the hits. But that I think you're totally right is not the orthodoxy by any means right now when it comes to comedy. Um, no, you know, no. an audience that knows the joke is it's certain to not land. There's just no way it's going to have the same uh impact right because part of it is just the element of of unpredictability surprise pulling the rug out you know yeah the element of surprise you, you can't it's the it, it's the opposite of music in that the, the familiarity uh, as much as it might be liked uh you can like a song a million times there but you're never surprised by a song uh no, you know yeah. the hundredth time but you don't care right yeah absolutely i mean you know i'll say that like if there's a, a special that i really love you know kurt braunohler is playing uh, just for laughs and he has a great comedy central special called trust me i'll i'll re-watch that but i won't re-watch it like right away in the same way that i'll put on an album like sure a, a few consecutive days it just wouldn't make any sense i think you're right that is an interesting yeah uh contrast there um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I won't take any more of your time. This has been really, really great. I'll take my time. It's been nothing but a pleasure, man. All right. No, I appreciate it.